Hi there, you're listening to the Trinity Community Church Podcast. TCC, a home for you. All right, good morning, Trinity. How are you doing this morning? Um, I want to encourage you. Don't be afraid to allow God to do deep works inside of you. Doesn't matter how old you are, doesn't matter how worthy you feel. All of us are, are, are works you know, in process. You know, even this morning as I was kind of just in here in worship, I was reminded of, of all the ways that I lack in my faith. How many of you know that all of us have, have, have things, blind spots, things that God's constantly working on? The day that you'll be perfected is the day you take your last breath here and your first breath in heaven. What's interesting about our stuff is none of our stuff is the same. We all carry our stuff. So just shut your eyes for a second. Whatever that thing is, just yield that to God right now. Ask him to help you to be yielded to his process. I desperately want to be better. I desperately want to be more like him. And there's so many times and in so many ways I fall short. If you're like me, just talk to him about that right now. Heavenly Father, would you help us in this moment to be in alignment with your heart? Would you help us to be living to our design, how you created us to live? Father, would you continue to shape us and mold us? I pray that, Father, we would not be rigid, but, Father, we'd be pliable. Help us, Lord, to be like you in your name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. It's a process. It doesn't, doesn't stop, doesn't end. You never arrive. In fact, I think the way that it should work is the older we get, the more tender we get. Um, so just stay on, on, on the process. It's good to be here with you today. We are uh, uh, engaging again in our um, momentum series. I'm excited because I think God's got some cool things in store for us this whole month. Um, specifically, I'm excited about today. I, I like what uh, Charles Stanley said. He said, you can tell. He said, if, you, if you're a pure teacher, you know, you, you always, first of you don't know you're always pulling stuff out because you can't get all the stuff in you want to say. And the second part is like, and you just, you cannot wait to, to come and to bring that thing. It's like a burning uh, package inside your heart. And I, I have like a burning package in my heart today. Uh, it's something that I really feel like God wants me to unload. Um, as we continue this, uh, this series, uh, Momentum, uh, I remember, uh, and I've told this story before, but it's such a good story. How many of you know good stories are worth telling over and over and over again? Uh, a few years ago, actually, it's been now probably 18 years ago. Uh, we are in Big Sky, Montana. Uh, Toby Harris, the kid that's playing piano today, was one year old. Sub one, we'll say that. And we were in Big Sky, Montana, and we had uh, we were getting ready to do some uh, whitewater rafting in Big Sky, Montana. I don't know if you've ever been on a, a whitewater rafting trip before. You know, I've been in, on those in Illinois and a few places like that. That is not... Whitewater rafting, that is Huckleberry Finn, Tom Sawyer floating down the river on a wooden raft. So I, I realized that perhaps we were getting into some deep water. When we're getting up there, and I think Ty was about nine, Tori was about six or seven. 
And as I'm sitting there, they hand me these waivers to sign. And these waivers, and I remember clearly seeing that they are not responsible for your death. And I thought to myself, we are not in Kansas anymore. This is a little bit, bit different. So they, fit, they, they fitted uh, helmets on the kids and stuff like that. And, um, and I remember they were going through all this stuff. I didn't understand classes of rapids, but we were going, we're uh, 3.5 to uh, 4.5. Five is, is like, don't go on that river, it's bad. You'll die. So, you know, so we're getting ready. And, uh, and, and I don't know if you've ever put your life in, in somebody else's hands. You know, but when you put your life in somebody else's hands, there are certain words that you don't really want to hear as they're explaining stuff to you. I remember our guide, I don't remember his name, but I remember how he talked because he used the word dude excessively. Um, he was a ski bum. Do you know what a ski bum is? I don't know if you guys know what ski bums are. Uh, in Colorado, we had ski bums. These are guys that like to ski, but they don't want to pay to ski. So they would sit at the bottom of these hills, and they would bum rides up to the top of these ski slopes, and they would ski down these places that weren't meant for you to ski down, and that's just what they did. So this dude was a ski bum during the winter up in Big Sky, and in the summer, he was a, a whitewater rafting guide. And um, he was very excited to be there. Uh, he used the word dude a lot. He said, dude! The water is great today. It's going to be awesome to take our lives in our hands and get in the raft and go down the river, dude. Righteous. And I'm looking at him and I'm looking at my children. I'm thinking, we're not going to make it. So he looked at us and he paired us and he put us in, in the raft. And I was one of the engines. So I was on the, the front left side. There's another guy in the front right. And, uh, and I was talking to him, and I was like, so, so what's my role? He goes, dude, this is what you're supposed to do. He said, I'm going to holler out commands. Whatever command, if I, go, if I go left engine, that's you, and you just paddle as hard as you can, man. If I say left stop, you just put your rudder in the water, and we'll spin, and we'll navigate, and it'll be righteous. I'm thinking, okay, how tough could it be? So we all get into the raft, and we get under the water, and it starts off okay. How many of you know it always starts off okay? If it doesn't start off okay, you're getting out of the water immediately. So we start floating down this, this, this river. And it gets hairier and hairier and hairier. And I'm trying to be a good engine. I'm the left engine. I keep looking back at my kids that are peanuts. And I'm thinking to myself, if I lose one of these kids, Robin is not going to be happy. <laughs> Might as well throw myself out. So as we're getting up to the front of the river, I peek. I'm in the front. I look out there and I see this waterfall thing. It goes down about probably four foot. And we're heading right to it, right between these two boulders. So I look back and I go, dude, because that's how you communicate with guys that use the word dude. I said, dude, I said, there's a waterfall in the front. He goes, I know, it's great, isn't it? I'm like, not so much. <laughs> and I, before I can say another thing, he says, he goes, paddle as fast as you can. He goes, we're going to hit that, 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 that big boulder. You're going to hit the boulder. We're going to spin back. We're going to fold up like a taco and spin right through. It's going to be great. And I look back and I go, what? And before I can even get the word out, he goes, engines now. So I, ah! I paddle as fast as I can, and I'll tell you what, we hit this boulder, we spin backwards, we squirt through backwards like a taco, just like he said, we squirted through, the kids are having a ball, everything's great, and we survived. And I thought to myself, this guy, you know, how many of you know you can't judge a book by its cover? I was happy to have the dude with us. And I was in awe, after we got off of everything, we had done at the power of the river, I realized this as we were in it. Anything goes across over that the side of that boat, an oar, a body, a chunky Greek, whatever goes to the side of that, you get in that water, you're done. I mean, they find you in like Kansas. You know what we call that? Momentum. It's momentum. Do you know the church? 
was never designed to be a pond. It was always designed to be a river. You were designed to operate with power. The Holy Spirit coming in you, the Holy Spirit moving outside of you. We were never meant to be stagnant. God didn't create you to be a bucket where you could just keep all of the goodness and all of the things that he gives you to yourself. That's not how we're designed. The church isn't built that way, and believers, we're not built that way either. God created us to be rivers. As believers, we were created to go. We were created to have a faith that's supposed to have movement. Our faith is built on moving forward. The kingdom is built on expansion. Nowhere in the Bible do you see the kingdom where, the, where God talks about the kingdom of God, where it's you defend the kingdom. You stay you know, solitary and you got you to all by yourself and you push away the darkness. It's a, the kingdom is always advancing. The kingdom is always moving forward. When Jesus left, what's the first thing he told us? Go into all the world and make disciples. He didn't say, hunker down and hope they don't get you. Your faith, your, your faith is, is designed to go. So today we're going to talk about what it means to have a faith that is in motion. A couple weeks ago, we talked about the catalyst for that. We talked about, you know, momentum starts with seizing your moment. We talked about Peter, how he stepped out of the boat. That was his moment. That propelled Peter. And even after he struggled, by the way, has anybody in here ever struggle? Does anybody here ever fail? You're, you're in good company. You're in company with guys like Peter and Paul and Mary. Isn't that a group? <laughs> Only the old people got that. All the young people are like, you mean Mary, mother of Jesus? Don't worry about it. We talked about how you have to, you have to be willing to step out of the boat to get started, to get the momentum moving. So now, today we talk about what does the posture of a fully devoted follower of Christ look like? What does it look like? What marks us as believers when it comes to uh, the kingdom? Uh, let me set this up before we get into our passage. Um, so the early church, you know, Jesus leaves, and he leaves the keys to the car in the hands of the disciples. And the early church had to kind of figure some things out. How many of you know it's easy to do what you're supposed to do when the big guy is right next to you? You can always default to the big guy. Well, I, I think we should do this. Well, Jesus, what do you think we should do? And Jesus would give them an answer. Well, the big guy's gone, so they have to figure these things out. And they're wrestling with some of the details of what their faith now looks like. Now, not the big ones. They understand that Jesus is the Son of God. They understand that Jesus died for them. They understand the Holy Spirit's been given. They got the big ones down, but they're struggling with some of the little things. They're struggling like with things like worship style. How do we worship? They're struggling with things like um, customs and circumcision. Some people are like, you should be circumcised. Some people are like, you don't have to be circumcised. Every like 40-year-old guy was like, we do not need to be circumcised. <laughs> so Paul, he addresses these things with some letters and he's talking about stuff like that. They're even talking about things that you can eat and things that you can't eat. Now, I'm so grateful for us as a church today, 2,000 years later, we've moved so far beyond any of these discussions. Now we don't argue about things that we can eat and we can't eat. We don't argue about circumcision anymore. We argue about more important things like the color of the carpet and the paint on the walls and the coffee that we have. And we I got almost, oh, I almost got sucked into this epic discussion 
I fought, I fought it. Actually, just so you guys know, I'm not on Facebook right now. I didn't, I had people come up, Pastor, you unfriended me. I didn't unfriend anybody. I just deactivated my account for a little bit because I just, I need to. God's working on some things in me. Um, so I almost got sucked into this battle over uh, some guys were talking about um, egg hunts and why we do them. And some guys were very demonstrative on how any church that ever does anything like that is basically stoking the fires of hell. And, and I really wanted to jump in with both feet. But I was really tired, and I didn't. We still wrestle with things that don't really matter. So this is not unfamiliar. This is what the passage looks like. So in the midst of this, this discussion, Paul starts to anchor for us some of the characteristics of what a kingdom faith looks like, what a faith that has momentum looks like. So if you've got your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 14. We're going to look at verse 17. If you have our app, you get my notes. If you're on the U version of the Bible, if you look for live events, look for Trinity, you get all my notes. I encourage you, don't just look at the words on the screen. Either open your Bible, look at your phone, save these things so you know what you believe. Romans 14, 17 says this, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of rules about food and drink, but it's in the realm of the Holy Spirit, filled with righteousness, peace, and joy. Serving the anointed one by walking in these kingdom realities pleases God and earns the respect of others. Let me read that again. It's a very powerful passage. There's a lot in here. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of rules about food and drink, but it's in the realm of the Holy Spirit, filled with righteousness, peace, and joy. Serving the anointed one by walking in these kingdom realities pleases God and earns the respect of others. So this morning, I want to take a look at a few things that are here that I believe are marks of, of kingdom believers, people that move uh, in and out of the kingdom, things that God expects of us if we're going to continue to carry his heart well. The first understanding is this. The kingdom of God is more than a religious system. The best that we can do as mankind is to build a religion. Religion comes from man. We're the ones that bring systems. We do the best that we can. We try to build things that we understand the best that we can. We're about religious systems. God is about relationship and power, transformation and bringing heaven to earth. Now know this. There's nothing wrong with rituals and beautiful traditions of our our faith. I don't know if you know this or not. Today is actually Greek Easter. My phone was blown up this morning by all my Greek cousins and aunts and uncles, you know, saying, Christos and Esti, and I'm thinking, we did that last week. <laughs> but the Greeks are doing it this week because we're, it's orthodoxy, it's just what we, what we do. I'm all for, you know, these religious traditions and, and, and symbols are our faith. Uh, there's deep meaning in all these things as we celebrate the church. And I know what you're thinking. You're probably like, Pastor TJ, we're not in one of them churches that really has those, uh, you know, rituals and traditions. We're not like the Catholics or Orthodoxy or, you know, even, you know, how many of you grew up in a church where on the side of the wall, there was this little plaque and it had numbers on the plaque and it told you what songs you were going to sing as you were getting ready to do your stuff, right? And pastor, we knew what was happening. We knew the pastor would talk for 15 minutes max, you know, 17 if, if the spirit was really moving so we could get out to the golden corral before the Baptists do, right? You know how that works. And you think, well, we don't, we don't have any of that stuff, don't we? How many songs do we usually do on a Sunday morning? Four. We do the first one as a break. Three other songs. The Holy Spirit moves somewhere in song between three and four. 
Some of you come up, like today, Daniel and Kelly did a great job. They do ministry time. You'll hear, you know, some stuff and some people, and then Pastor TJ comes, he opens with a joke, <laughs> and then we go. All of us have our systems and our traditions and our things. Why? That's just how we're built. The best that we have to offer as mankind are these systems. Now, what's cool is some of these things were actually established by God. He, he, he told us in his word, I want you to do this, this. We do communion. That God, he set that apart. He said, do this in remembrance of me. We baptize in water. He said, you know, he, he talked about being baptized. And that, that's they're the two of our ordinances in, in the church. And those are good and those are great. But we get into trouble as humans when you start to elevate the system above the heart of God. I know you're thinking, well, we, we don't ever do that. We do it all the time. We take the little things, the way we do things, and we make them the major things, even though they're the minor things. You know, we have 32,000 Christian denominations in the United States. 32,000. There's 3,200 religions in the world. There's 32,000 segmented pieces of Christianity just in the United States because we major in the minor things. This is so important, we can't meet together. And I have something to say to that. <laughs> it's dumb. All they do is separate us. That's all that they do. But what happens is this. Sometimes we allow our systems to supersede the heart of God. And when we do that, we lose our way. Now, Jesus talked about this. Uh, we're going to read another passage here in Mark chapter 3, if you want to turn there real quick. Um, I loved how Jesus, everywhere he went, he promoted the heart of God. Just what he did. He said, I'm doing what God, what my father tells me to do. And he encountered a generation of people, a religious generation of people that had lost their way. They had elevated their religious system above the heart of God. In fact, what was so sad is this. God would send them prophet after prophet after prophet. And these prophets would come and they'd kill these prophets. And then after they killed them, they'd say, oh, he was a prophet. We should listen to what he says. He would have probably loved to hear that before you killed him. So Jesus is here. And his, his encounters with the religious leaders are now no longer built around discovering the truth. But they're built on finding flaws. Um, things that don't connect with their system. This is Mark 3.1. It says, another time Jesus went into the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Now think about this. There's a man in their midst with a shriveled hand. There's a deformity. He's broken. He needs a heal. He needs God to heal him. And instead of wanting this man healed, they wanted to not just see the man healed, they wanted him healed the way they wanted him healed, on the day they wanted him healed, in that way. Because how many of you know it's really cool for the creator, or for the, crea uh, the created to dictate to the creator when, how, why, and all the other stuff? As if we have that right. Right? They no longer had heart of compassion for the man. They just wanted to make sure that their rules were followed. Look at what Jesus did. Verse 3. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, Stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to, uh, to save life or to kill it? But they remained silent. 
Now, that's a no-brainer. That's a slam dunk. Well, no, it's always, we don't want to kill. We always want to give life. But they said nothing. Why? Because they'd become disconnected with the heart of God. Their rules and regulations superseded it. Look at verse 5. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. He said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. They witnessed a healing right in their midst. They saw this man that was broken, fully restored, fully healed. And look at verse 6. Then the Pharisees went on and began to plot with the Herodians on how they might kill Jesus. Why? Because he healed a man on a day that they didn't believe you were allowed to heal. The religious system superseded the heart of God. And then Jesus kind of, you know, dialed in more of the context for that. He said this in Mark 2.27. Uh, so Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of the people, not the people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. So what was Jesus telling us? He was telling us this. Our faith was never meant to be this cold, systematic, dead religious thing. Your faith was designed to be alive. Your faith was designed to be relational, organic, powerful, grounded, completely fulfilling. That's why Jesus came. That's why Jesus died. We don't need another religious system. We needed a Savior. So that's the groundwork for all this. It's not a system. God came to change everything. So what does that look like? What is a faith that has momentum? What is a faith that lives like a river look like as opposed to the other? Well, we see some three really important things that, that, that Paul talks about in the passage. Look at the passage again. He says this, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of rules about food and drink, but is in the realm of the Holy Spirit filled with first righteousness. What is righteousness? Now the Greek word here for righteousness means this, to be straight or in alignment with something, to be just or to be correct. Now this is interesting because if you look at the Greek, the Greek word here is written in the, the present plural, par, plural particle Parts, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a tongue twister is what it is. It's a present plural participle, which actually can be translated this way. Being made right. Not that I make myself right, but being made right, which tells us this. First, the process is something outside of us. And second, the process is continual. You know what that means? You will never be made completely right until the day you die. Sanctification, that's the big word that we, we put all this under, is something that, that you and I will experience until the day that we die. So the understanding of the passage is this. It's God. He's the one that makes us righteous. Now, this is one of the toughest things for us to understand as believers because there's a delicate balance here. I mean, there's a part for God to play, but there's also a part for us to play. There's this like divine partnership of being right with God. So how does this work? Well, it works if you understand a little bit more of this. That word for righteousness actually refers to the character of God. It means this. He is righteous and he is just. So for us as believers, when you become a fully devoted follower of Christ, we become like God. But understand this, you cannot be like God on your own. Unlike popular belief, we are not little gods. We are humans. 
We can take on the characteristics of God. How? Because the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. He does the work inside of us. It's a work of his righteousness, not like us. It's impossible to achieve his righteousness by human means alone. You need God's help to see transformation. You do. Righteousness is God's work of transforming a person, putting us into right relationship with him. So when it comes for us living righteously, there's something for us to do in the process and a whole lot of what God has to do in the process. Kind of reminds me of this. Um, how many of you have a car? How many of you are one of those like new fancy cars that, you know, you need like a computer chip to like, you know, put air in your tires. One of those things. Got the big screens and all that stuff. Have you ever thought about how ridiculous a car is? Yes. It's amazing. I mean, think about it this way. You came here, most of you came here in a car today, right? Unless you were teleported or flew in the back of an eagle or were in an Amish buggy. I don't know. That would be really cool. <laughs> Actually. So you got in your car today. You didn't even think about it. You either hit the button to start the car or you turned the key. You drove here, you know, and you're here. You know, some of you, you know, you know, go on road trips. How many of you like road trips? You ever thought about this? You go on a road trip. You know, you need great snacks, great tunes, all the stuff. And you get on a road trip, and maybe you drive five, six, seven hours, and you get to the place that you're going, and you're like, oh, man, I am so tired because I drove for like five, six hours. Have you ever thought about this? What did you really do? You weren't the engine. You didn't have to say, come on, engine, you got this. Come on, engine, you, you can do this. You didn't have to talk the engine up. What did you do? Well, I mean, were you part of the tires? Did you have to hold the tires of the road? We can get this done. What did you do? You ate snacks? You played with the pedals a little bit? Most of you have cruise control. Didn't even touch the pedals. What the, I'm exhausted. What made you exhausted? Now, some of you, your cars are so fancy. We have this thing that's called lane assist. You know what that is? So if you like go this way, it goes, no, nope, and brings you right back. I say, okay. Some of you got a Tesla, you just go to sleep. Literally. And you wake up and you're in Boston. <laughs> I'm supposed to be in Baltimore. <laughs> yeah, but that's, that's, a you, that's a you issue. What did you do? You know what you did? You steered it a little bit. It's kind of like your partnership with God when it comes to righteousness. God is the engine. God is the wheels. God, are, he's got the brakes. He even has the lane assist. No, no, sweetheart, come over this way. But what do you do? We steer a little bit. This Christian life is so tough. You keep the car in alignment with God's purposes. Our number one job as believers is to keep the car into alignment. You keep yourself in alignment with God's purposes. He does the work of transformation. You don't. He does. That is our part, not anybody else's part. God is the one that does all of the heavy lifting. He's the one that makes you righteous. This is what 2 Corinthians 5.21 says. He orchestrated this. The anointed one who had never experienced sin became sin for us so that in him we might embody the very righteousness of God. How do we embody the very righteousness of God? Who does that come from? Him. Not us and not your great decisions. Romans 10.4 says this, For Christ has already accomplished the purpose for which the law was given. As a result, all who believe in him are made right with God. What makes you right with God? Believing in him. Guys, we cannot be squeaky clean enough. We steer the car. We keep our hearts and our families and our lives in alignment with him. That's, that's what we do. 
but he does all the heavy lifting. This is our part to play. This is great for our part. This is Matthew 6.33. It says this, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. Then he'll give you everything you need. We seek. We watch. Lord, where are you? Wherever God is, that's where you need to be. But these guys say, I need, wherever God is, that's where you need to be. Find him. We have people come to the church all the time. This is not like my normal tradition. They'll come up to me and say, Pastor, you don't understand. I came from something way different than this. Was it orthodoxy? Did they have incense and stuff? Well, no, not like that crazy. Then you ain't got nothing on me, baby. <laughs> I have people come in, Pastor, it's a little foggy in here. It's like, That's what I grew up every weekend in the Greek Orthodox Church. Except it wasn't a fog machine, it was incense. Dominus, ah. Am I right? Keep the car in alignment. We seek him. We strive to live righteously, but we understand that God does the heavy lifting. Living righteousness just means being, doing what he asks you to do. Live the way that God asks you to. That's the first thing that we need to do if we're going to have kingdom momentum. Look at the passage again. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of rules about food and drink, but it's the realm of the Holy Spirit, filled with righteousness and peace. Another characteristic of a kingdom life is peace. This Greek word for peace is erene, which actually comes from the verb ero, which means to join, to bind together, or to make whole. So when we say, when you receive this peace, it talks about being made whole with God. When, when the Jews say shalom, it means may you be whole with God. Peace has nothing to do with your environment. It has everything to do with your proximity and your openness to the Holy Spirit, your openness to God. If you're whole with God, you will experience peace. Peace is not by finding that beautiful spot by the river where you can cross your arm and go, oh, that's not peace. Peace has nothing to do with your environment. Peace is a posture that embodies the life of every believer. This is why, because it's an any, it's not an Audi, this is why you can experience peace in every situation. 2 Thessalonians 3.16 says this, May the Lord of peace himself give you his peace at all times and in every situation. That pretty much covers everything, doesn't it? At all times, in every situation. But what about, there's no loopholes here. That means in the dark night of the soul, you can have peace. That means when the fillers are getting beat 13 to nothing, you can have peace. Did you watch the game last night? No. I know Paul did. <laughs> You can have peace in every situation. So how can you experience peace in every way, in every situation? Isaiah 26.3 says this. And it's just a little snippet for us. We're not going to live here. I've taught, I've taught on this before. It says this. You will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you and all whose thoughts are fixed on you. There's two words there that we got to embody. Every believer needs to embody this. You need to learn how to trust God. What does it mean to trust something? This is the definition of trust from dictionary.com. Firm belief in the reliability, truth, ability, or strength of someone or something. That's what trust is. You don't know how much trust you have in God until your trust is tested. Sometimes we think the test is the ultimate failure. The test just shows you what's deep inside your heart. Let's just be real with each other. I got all the faith that I need for you. But how many of you know that that faith takes on a whole different depth and meaning when you need faith for yourself? The doctor tells you, you have cancer. I got faith. Lord, you can, you can heal that. The doctor tells me, I have cancer. Oh, baby. It's a different thing. It's in those moments that we figure out how deeply we really trust God. Are you ready for this? 
God will allow us to experience those things just so we can understand, so he can show us what's really inside of us. You've heard me say this before. God, we have all these different names of God, like Jehovah Rapha, which means God is our, our healer. How many of you know that you don't understand that God is your healer until you're sick? And then he heals you. Jehovah Jireh, God is my provider. We don't understand God is our provider until you are in need. You cannot have a miracle without having a problem. Right? That's the way miracles work. That's when trust kicks in. And then whose thoughts are fixed on you. That word fixed, this is the definition of fixed. Set or intent upon something steadily directed, firmly set in the mind. This means this, whatever you, 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 you're fixed on will take over your heart, your thoughts will take over everything. So if all you do is fixate on your problem, you're just going to continue to go down the rabbit hole and worry and doubt and fear. All those things are just going to kick up in your heart and you're, just gonna, you're going to churn them over and over and over and over and over again. You can always choose what you're going to fixate on. The next time you have a trouble, you have a problem, choose to worship instead of worry. Choose to focus on Jesus instead of all the possibilities of all the things that could go wrong. Focus on the solution, not the problem. Do you realize 90% of the things you worry about never happen? You know a worrier? God didn't call us to live in fear. He called us to be men and women of faith. Fear comes from the enemy. We fear God. We understand who he is and what he can do. But the Bible tells us this. God didn't give you a spirit of fear, but love, power, and a sound mind. You know what that is? Steady. You're steady. You're unmovable. That's the mark of a believer. Does that sound like our church today? I'm not talking about our church. I'm about the Big C Church. Sometimes when I read the stuff that's coming out of our Big C Church, I see a lot of fear. The sky's falling. The sky's falling. I get emails and texts almost every day of all the things that we need to do. If we don't do this right now, I don't, you know what I do every day? I pray. I seek the Lord. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm an action person too. I do all these things, but we are not motivated by fear. And we do not motivate others by fear. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. We come and we bring life, abundant life. Does that make sense? So again, fixate on the things that are good. The next time something bad happens, open up your word. I know it's a crazy thought. Read it. Partake of the word every day. I partake of the word every day. I get the word in my heart. I hide his word in my heart so I don't sin against him, so I don't freak out. I'm not talking about podcast. Those are great. I'm talking about the word of God. Get your nose in the book. Put on worship. Listen to worship stuff. Don't listen to the news. Some of y'all need to shut the news off. It's bad. I'm going to just tell you right now, it's bad. And tomorrow, you know what's going to be? Bad. <laughs> Worship. If something really bad happens, you'll know about it. You know, some of y'all need to also probably pull the plug on the Facebook, but that's another story. Oh. <laughs> I want to talk about that. I got in trouble last week for talking about filters and people using filters to alter their appearance. Can you believe that, Khaki? It was nuts. It's crazy. She didn't say anything. It wasn't her. It wasn't her. It was crazy. We should be known as people that operate from a place of fear, or not fear, of peace. Not fear, not distress. Peace is another indicator, beloved, of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Peace. I, I had a good friend of mine who's passed on now. He used to always say this. Peace is the potting soul for revelation. He 
He said, when you're at peace, you can hear God clearly. When you're all, you know, verklempt and, and, and you're, you're being, you know, run by fear, driven by fear, you don't hear God clearly. Peace gives us clarity. If you want to hear God clearly, cultivate a life of peace. So here's a question for you to kind of figure out, you know, how much peace is in you if you're coming from peace. What is your first response when things go south? Do you get irritated, agitated? Are you ready to freak out? What is your, your first response when things go bad? You know, you get a call from the mechanic because you're know, like, you know, hey, you know, we noticed we had to put like one of those little nuts back on your, the tire thing. Oh, that'll be $2,400. But it's just a tire nut thing. It's just $2,400. Scarcity. Robin and I, we were, uh, we, we had to get, uh, we let our passports lapse. Don't know why. So we had to go to the Greenville Post Office to get our passports. Have you ever gone, had a passport appointment? We've had like three lined up because we don't apparently have all the right paperwork that you need. Um, and I'm not telling you whose fault that is, but it's not me. But that's another story. Um, so we get there, and Rob and I are there, and we tell the guy we're here for this passport appointment. And he goes, you know, hey, Mabel, we're here for the passport appointment. And this lady comes out. She goes, I don't know who's out there. I called earlier today. There's no appointments. I canceled all the appointments. Nobody should be here for the passport appointment. And I'm sitting there with my stuff, and we're like, What? And she goes, I called people. And of course, being the good husband that I am, the first thing I looked, I looked at Rob and said, did she call you? Did you miss a call? And Rob's like, I didn't get a call. I don't know what you're talking about. And the lady goes, oh, no, except the Harris's. The Harris's are good. They're still good. And I went, ah. And Rob was like, because I doubted her. And I remember before she was like, you guys are good, there was this moment where everything had escalated really quick and there was a pause. What do you do In the midst of the pause, are you a person that is filled with peace or do you engage? And I got to be honest with you, I was was really to engage. And what was funny was I didn't and it worked out great. In fact, it was so great. This lady was a bulldog, not just against people, but for people. And she had like Uncle Sam and a chicken wing. And she's like, we were going to get the Harris's through and blah, 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 blah. And we got through and it was quick and it was great. And I was like, this turned out to be way better than I thought it was good. It kind of started out bumpy, but it turned out to be pretty good. What's your first reaction when things go south? When you get that call, when um, the worst case scenario happens. Do you have peace? This is uh, God's promise for us. This is what Jesus said in John 14, 27. I leave the gift of peace with you, my peace. Not the kind of fragile peace given by the world, but my perfect peace. Don't yield to fear or be troubled in your hearts. Instead, be courageous. Don't yield to fear. Bow your heads for a second. Are you here today and you need peace? You need to experience all the peace that he has to offer you. I just want you right now, if you, if you need peace, just take your hands and just open them up to heaven. And let's just talk to the Holy Spirit for a second. The Holy Spirit speaks to you just like he speaks to me. Just ask him. Say, Holy Spirit, will you show me if there's something in my life that's blocking your peace from getting through? Help me, Lord God, to receive your peace. His heart is that you walk in peace, not fear, not intimidation, not doubt, but peace. His perfect peace comes. You just give him permission right now. Say, Lord, move what you have to move. Change the patterns in my heart. Help me to see, Lord God, the things that you want me to see so I can experience your peace.
And they just give the Holy Spirit a moment to just fill you with his peace. It is a fruit of the Spirit. Let's keep going. We're almost to the end. By the way, um, don't forget this. Peace is one of those things too. If you're a person that's known to be a, a person that's at peace, people are wanting, they're going to want to be around you. You know why? You affect others with your presence. Peace is a fruit. What can you do with fruit? Eat it and share it, baby, right? So I want to encourage you. I mean, y'all know those people, right? How many know people that bring chaos? You don't want nothing to do with them, right? If you don't know somebody that brings chaos, it's probably you. Right? Be that person of peace. Look at the passage again. For the kingdom of God is not a matter about rules and food or drink, but is in the realm of the Holy Spirit filled with righteousness, peace, and joy. Now, this is, this is kind of cool. The Greek word here for joy is chada, which actually is kind of interesting. But before we get there, when you hear the word joy, what do you think of? Do you think of like Christmas, you know, joy to the world? What do you think of when you hear the word joy? It's one of those things that's hard to, to define, but it's easy to recognize, right? So we had about, oh, six weeks now ago, maybe, we had a loss in the Harris household. We had, uh, we had a couple of ministers and houses. One of them, Jax, who was about 11, passed away. And Jax is a great little dog. He's with us for a long time. And, you know, we were, we were grieving. So as we were grieving, I, you know, I thought to myself, it's going to take us some time to get, get through Jax and blah, 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 blah. And I, maybe we should take a year before we get another dog. Um, and my, my family's like, no, no, we need to get one soon. I'm like, no, no. And I thought, you know, me being the king of the house, I declared we're not going to get another dog. So that right there, that's, that, that's, that's the new dog, Uno. So we're miniature schnauzer people. Now, we had forgotten what it was like to have a puppy in the house again. I thought my house was puppy fruit, but it, it is not. Uh, this dog finds shoes and, and lines and all kind of things. You can tell I don't like the dog at all. <laughs> um, so what's funny is this. When they brought the dog's only like that big. So they bring the dog to the house, and the dog's tail's wagging, and it's bouncing all over the place. And he comes to the house, and he's like looking at you, and he's like, this is the greatest place ever. And you can tell he's a puppy. So everything he does is like the greatest thing ever. So he goes in, and he eats like the dog food, which is the dry, terrible. And he's eating his tail's wagging. He's like, this is the greatest food ever. You know, he's got like a little, couple little toys and he pulls up his little toy. He's got this little bear. He's like, this bear is the greatest bear ever. And everything's the greatest thing. And he's bouncing all, and he's, he's happy and he's smiling. His tail's wagging. And then we have the other dog. You can go to the next picture. Uh, that, that one up there, that is a Domino. Domino's 13, which means he is an old curmudgeon. So what makes Domino happy is a warm fire, a quiet house. You can see, you see a little cat down there too? The cat's like, um, Hello. Nobody told me there was another dog coming in here. I didn't see any papers. I didn't make any authorization because that's just what cats do, right? The cat's actually looking at them, plotting ways to kill him. That's basically what he's doing. Um, so what's funny is, is, is the dog is so happy and he wants to play. And, and really, you know, um, Uno believes that Domino is his best friend. And Domino's like, get away from me. One's always happy. One's like a curmudgeon. Um, don't be a spiritual curmudgeon. Be full of joy. Don't find all the reasons to be unhappy with where you are and what you're doing. Don't be one of those people. Don't be one of those people. Be somebody full of joy. All of us know a spiritual curmudgeon. 
I mean, come on, man. We have people that are full of faith and they come into the house and they're bouncing all over the place and they're like, this is the greatest church ever. The worship's great. The cookies are great. Pastor TJ's okay, but everything else is great. <laughs> then what do we do? The old seasoned Christians, nah, you want to let that pass. If you think this is great, there's other things that are better. Just take it and you wait out the new joy. Don't worry, eventually your joy will dissipate and you'll be like us. As if that's what we want. Joy is more than just a temporary feeling. Joy in the life of a believer is one of our characteristics. Don't be a spiritual curmudgeon. Now, this is interesting. When you look at the Hebrew understanding, concept of joy, this is what they believe. They believe that the greatest joy is only possible when your divine purpose is fully fulfilled. When you experience your purpose and you live out your purpose, the Hebrews believe that is when you experience true and lasting joy. In fact, they believe this. Whenever any part of creation acts in accordance to its design, they experience smha, which actually is this joy. Now, for us as believers, this is incredibly important. For a believer, our joy is not connected just to the results of things that happen in our lives. Our joy is connected to how deeply we live out in accordance to our purpose, to who God created us to be. So when you find yourself struggling to find joy in your faith and in your life, it may not be everybody else's fault. It might be because you're not living in accordance with your God-giving purpose. If joy comes from your purpose, then what on earth could possibly steal or shake your joy? Nothing. As believers in the kingdom, we follow, we serve, we give our lives a joy, even when things look bad, even when things look less than ideal. There are people right now in China giving their life for the faith, and they give their life joyfully. Because nothing to do with their surroundings. It has everything to do with their purpose. You can experience joy in every situation. You can even experience joy in the face of death. Jesus did. Hebrews 12, 2 tells us this. Now stay focused on Jesus, who designed and perfected our faith. He endured the cross and ignored the shame of that death because he focused on the joy that was set before him. What was the joy that was set before him? Fulfilling his divine purpose. Now he's seated beside God on the throne, a place of honor. Jesus had joy even as he faced the cross, because he lived out his divine purpose. And you and I can also experience joy in every situation if you live your life from your purpose. James 1, 2 says this, my fellow believers, when it seems as though you're, all face, you're facing nothing but difficulties, see it as an invaluable opportunity to experience the greatest joy that you can. For you know that when your faith is tested, it stirs up uh, in you the power of endurance. And then as your endurance grows even stronger, it'll release perfection into every part of your being until there's nothing missing, nothing lacking. So when you live your lives from a place of joy, you experience, or excuse me, from a place of purpose, you experience joy and happiness that's divine. And here's another thing about joy. Joy draws people. We love to hang out with people that are filled with joy, don't we? So last couple weeks, we did this, you know, we did an egg hunt. We had thousands of people here for the egg hunt. We did the way. We had about 500 people go through the way. And then last weekend for the Easter services, we had about 1,600 people. 
between here and online. And when you ask people what was the most impactful part of, of the things that we do, you know what they say over and over and over and over again? Your people, are, are, they're just filled with such joy. They're so friendly. They're so kind. They feel so much love. Of all the things that we do, they didn't mention the eggs. They didn't mention the bouncy houses. They mentioned you and your joy and the things that you embody. Beloved, that's why we do what we do. It's joy. People are drawn to that. Be people of joy. Don't be old curmudgeons. Let's finish this up. Look at the passage again. The kingdom of God is not a matter of rules about food and drink, but it's in the realm of the Holy Spirit. The underlying piece of all this is the Holy Spirit. The kingdom cannot be advanced by our own logic, our own ingenuity, our own human strength alone. We've tried that and it fails. We think our better theology, our better understanding will advance the kingdom. It does not. This does not take the place of the Holy Spirit. We need it. Don't get me wrong. But this alone becomes dead, stale, and dry. We cannot argue people into the kingdom. Only the Holy Spirit can draw people into the kingdom. We are simply vessels for that. That means this, the kingdom of God can only be advanced through the power of the Holy Spirit. The work of the kingdom can't flow through you to others until you embrace it yourself. You have to embrace the work of the Holy Spirit in you first. He's the one that does the work. And then you can give to others what you have. Philippians 2.13 says this, For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Who gives you the desire and the power to do what pleases God? God, the Holy Spirit living inside of you. God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Luke 17, 20, Jesus said this. Jesus was asked once by Jewish religious leaders, when will will God's kingdom come? Jesus responded, God's kingdom does not come simply by obeying principles or waiting for signs. God's kingdom does not come by just obeying principles and waiting for signs. Does that sound like our church today? If you just do the right thing and we just we recognize that everything will be fine. That's not how the kingdom comes. We don't wait just to receive the kingdom. Look at what God says. Look at verse 21. The kingdom is not discovered in one place or another, for God's kingdom realm is already expanding within some of you. It's already happening. That word within, the Greek word there is entos. Inside of you is what that actually means. This is how the kingdom works. We receive him. We welcome him. It starts with us, and then it spreads from us to others. Know this, beloved. Our world will never get a chance to experience God's love, power, and presence if you don't allow the Holy Spirit to do the work in you first. It has to start in you. It has to start in me. So here's the question. Does your faith embody righteousness, peace, and joy? Does your faith have room for the Holy Spirit to operate and to move? Is the kingdom expanding in you? If it's not expanding in you, it's not going to expand in anybody. Bow your heads. Just take a minute. I want you to talk to the Holy Spirit. Ask him. Say, Lord, is this a reflection of my faith? When people see me, do they experience peace? Do they experience joy? Do they experience righteousness? Listen to what he tells you. Thanks for listening to the Trinity Community Church Podcast. 
We hope this met you exactly where you are. To learn more about us, head to our website at tccde.com or follow us on social media at Trinity Community Church. TCC, a home for you.